This is Pastor Devin, and I just want to say thanks for joining us, and I hope and pray that this message is an encouragement to your life today. We are in uh, week two, uh, this installment of our series entitled Integrity, and if you weren't here with us last week, you can get that uh, CD in the back. They'll give that to you and take that with you if you want to kind of get caught up. Just a, a quick review, a refresher if you weren't here. We're looking at this definition of integrity over these few weeks, and it's this, the quality and condition of being whole and complete. How many would like for your life to be whole and complete? We're looking at this definition of integrity, being more than just moral and ethical uprightness, uh, but also the component in our lives that brings wholeness, that brings completeness, and ultimately more capacity to our lives. People with integrity have the ability to handle more. Um, As individuals, as a church, we're looking at how we can bring integrity into our lives so that God can entrust more to us, to whom much is given, much is required, right? And so that we can better handle what he's already currently entrusted to us. Uh, We're looking at six characteristics of integrity that bring more capacity to our lives. Last week, we looked at the first two principles of that, which was connecting authentically, relationally. Secondly, operating in reality. Um, Originally, I thought that I would try to blaze through the next four and uh, move on to Palm Sunday next week. Uh, But I I really, in uh, considering and praying, feel like we should just go through the next two so that we can get from it what I think the Lord really wants to say to us. And then we'll finish up next week with the last two. Um, We've been paralleling the six characteristics alongside an experience out of Exodus chapter 18 in Moses' life, um, where he has recognized a lack of leadership ability in his life, a lack of integrity, capacity, and he exemplifies these characteristics of integrity. Um, His father-in-law pays him a visit, and uh, they have an interaction that literally changes the way that Moses leads for the rest of his life. Um, all because Moses was willing to implement these characteristics of integrity. So coming off of the first week, connect authentically, operate in reality. Number three we're picking up right here is results, which basically means you're looking at the outcomes in your life. Results. Um, Exodus chapter 18, verse 14. When Moses' father-in-law saw all that Moses was doing for the people, he asked him a question. What are you really accomplishing here, is the question. Uh, How many would like for your father-in-law or mother-in-law to show up and walk into your house or to your business and say, what are you really getting done? Um, Jethro basically says, so you've listened to all of the complaints and the disagreements of all the people all day long. So what? what? What is being accomplished beyond feeling important? And being the bottleneck to the process and having to be present for anything to be accomplished. And only being able to listen to a limited amount of disagreements each day. So what? Um, He walks into his business, his house, his ministry. Moses um, could have said, uh, I'm kind of the leader here. I don't know if you want to look around or not. I have a million people following me. Think about that. I've got a million people that are looking to me for guidance, for leadership, for direction. And you're here spending a couple days, and you're asking me if I'm accomplishing any. What are you accomplishing, Jethro? 
Because last time I checked, you were a shepherd that just showed up. Um, of course, Moses is accomplishing stuff. Um, you know, if Moses would have been more like me, he may have answered more like, listen here, old man, I am accomplishing some stuff. Uh, I don't know if you remember this or not, that whole Red Sea thing. That was me. Uh, in the palace, I was raised. The plagues, I don't know if you remember the whole thing, plagues and all that whole deal. It, it, in today's context, it would have been kind of like, I'm kind of a big deal. Uh, I have many leather-bound books. Um, I don't know. Yeah, now, you, now you know what movies I watch. Um, I'm kind of a big deal. Um, I'm the patriarch of the church. Um, he could have gone on, on and on, but he doesn't do that. He actually considers the question that's posed to him. And by the end of this, this chapter, in verse 24, look what it says. Moses listened to his father-in-law's advice, and he followed his suggestions. Why? Because he wanted to be able to measure the results. When you measure the results, it allows you to operate in reality. These all are tied together. Uh, it's actually a great question for us to ask ourselves. Consider this. What, what am I really accomplishing here? What's getting accomplished? Maybe we can frame it this way. How do you measure success in your life? What is it that you're measuring that you would say, if I hit that, that is success. I can check that off. I've, I've hit the mark. How do you measure success in your life? Is it a salary number? Uh, a position, a title? Uh, is it a body fat percentage? Is that success? Um, a house in the right neighborhood? The right degree hanging on your wall? Be honest. What do you equate as success in your life? Um, I'm talking about both practical, measurable outcomes and spiritual growth outcomes, which is harder to tangibly measure. But how, what are you measuring in your life? First, I, I just want to look at the practical aspect of this. In order to measure a result, you first have to set the baseline where you currently are. You then determine the goal where you want to get to so that you can measure the progress towards the outcome that you're looking to accomplish. Very simple, very practical. Where are you? Where do you want to get to? And where are you at in the process of getting to that goal? How do you measure that? Let's just take uh, a simple example this morning um, and, and walk through what that process looks. Maybe success in your life this year. Maybe a goal that you have this year is to decrease your debt. Okay? Someone says, I, I want to decrease my debt. Um, do you know how much debt you currently have? That's a question. Not, not an estimate, but the real number. The number that scares you. The number that you don't want to admit exists. What is that real number? Then once you've determined that, what's the plan to decrease the debt? What's the goal? I can tell you right now, accomplishing that goal um, is going to require you to self-impose some parameters on your life, and you're going to have to be very disciplined to get there. Okay, now, so beyond accomplishing that goal, decreasing debt, what's the real outcome? What's the outcome if you do that? What does decreasing your debt allow you to do? Well, I, I would hope that part of what 
you would say, would be an outcome in your life, would that you could be more generous and be a blessing to the kingdom and to those around you. I would hope that that would be part of an outcome. Uh, Maybe part of the outcome is that as you're decreasing your debt, you're able to increase the percentage of the finances that you give away. That's a measurable spiritual outcome happening in your life because you have started to measure a result. Now, what about the less tangible spiritual outcome? Maybe because of the debt load being decreased, you're able to have a little margin. Imagine that. Not living week to week. You're able to save some money. What does that bring into your life? That brings less stress, less worry, and more peace. How how do you measure less stress and more peace? How do you measure that? It's such a a feeling. I, I, I feel less stressful. How do you measure that outcome? But with less stress, more peace comes happier wife. Happy wife, happy life. Happier marriage. Less stress means better health. These are things that are, I just feel better. Well, how do you measure that? What result, what outcome are you going to measure in your life that allows you to say that is success? How do you measure it? Here's what I do know. You will never, ever get the result you're looking for if you aren't intentionally measuring the progress. You have to measure it. What is this? What does this mean for us as a church? I... um, I just want to give you some insight, maybe into my, my manic thoughts sometimes, my thought process, the things that maybe keep me up at night that I think about, um, questions that I consider for us as a church, even at six months old. Uh, I, I consider these things. What, what indicators in the life of people are we going to measure? What, what does becoming a disciple look like? Are we going to measure spiritual growth in the life of our church, in the individual lives of people? Is that even my job? Is that our job as a church to do that? These are questions that I wrestle with as a pastor. Um, Because at the end of the day, I want to know that we're making a difference. I, I want to know that we're making an impact, that people's lives are being changed and transformed by the power of God. How many know I have no power in and of myself to convict or convert anyone. But that's the power of the Holy Spirit. I have no power to do that, but I'm also responsible to equip you. The Bible says to do the ministry. So, more than a feeling, not a week goes by where someone doesn't say to me, I I just feel like I have more peace in my life. What does that mean? Like, Is there a peace measurement that I don't know about? What does that mean? I have couples all the time that say, our marriage is so much better. What does that mean? It's so difficult for me to measure the the spiritual outcomes, the growth that's happening in the lives of people, but I want to be able to say that's the word of God taking root in the lives of people. That's the word of God bringing life and revelation and truth. And I'll just tell you, I don't have the answers to those questions that I'm, that I'm asking right now. Nor 
do I know if I'm ever going to have the answers to some of them? I will tell you this. Uh, I can tell you that I spend time in prayer seeking God on how he would have us pursue that as a church. Um, because in ministry, uh, when I ask a, a pastor or a, or a ministry leader, how's your ministry doing? 99% of the time, they give me a numeric quantitative answer. Um, they give me a numeric measurement of, of an activity. We're doing great. We're running this many services. We had this many on Easter. We baptized this many. We have this many in kids' service. We have this many signed decision cards. And listen, I'm not saying that those aren't indicators. Believe you me, outcomes will not happen without people showing up. People got to show up. And God's kingdom is expansive. It should be growing. I'm not against counting. Don't mishear me. Jesus counted. He knew that there were 5,000 men there with their families on that day when he fed them all. Okay, so Jesus counted too. But what I am saying is that we can often take these numeric measurements of activity and use those as outcomes happening in the people's lives. Do, do we have any other measurement that involves anything other than counting? Is that the only measurement I have that, that says that's success? Butts in the seat? Nickels in the plate? Is that, the only thing, that, is that the only thing I have to measure what effective ministry is? Because here's the deal. I didn't ask you how big your church was. I asked you, how's your church doing? Is it healthy? More than a, a crowd being gathered, I'm concerned and motivated by a life being transformed. Numbers do not motivate me. Names and stories motivate me. Every number is a story. It's a person. I'm not working with widgets. I'm working with people. Listen, church growth will be the byproduct, but it is not the product. Yes, healthy things grow, right? You know what else I found? Unhealthy things grow too. That's why we got to clean up on Saturday. Why? We got all kinds of unhealthy things growing. Weeds grow. Cancer grows inside of people's bodies. Why? Because unhealthy things can grow too. So what are we measuring to say that is health? That's life. As a church, are our marriages healthy? As a church, do our kids stay committed to God when they go off to college? As a church, is real, authentic community being created and led and modeled? Because, listen... Satan does not feel, uh, fear a large church. He fears a unified church. We could have all kinds of people showing up, and if we're not unified, it doesn't matter. I'm talking about true outcomes. Change, transformation taking place in the lives of people. What defines success for me as a pastor? Now you know why I'm so manic. These questions... Because, it, listen, it can't just be that I've found people that serve my vision and give their life to my ministry and have no dream or vision for their own life. That's not success. So I can convince people to serve me? That's, I, I'm committed to outcomes being accomplished in the lives of people. Real results. Uh, just an example of this. Matthew chapter 25 very familiar passage, but it talks about this idea. 
of measurement, how, how to gain greater capacity in our lives. Matthew chapter 25, verse 19. I'm going to read this, this nine-verse passage here. Verse 19, after a long time, by the way, it takes time. If you want to measure results, be patient. The master of those servants returned and settled his accounts with them. So the man who had received five talents came, and he brought five other talents, saying, Master, you entrusted me with five talents. Look, I've gained five more talents besides them. And his master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Faithful with few, in charge of many. That's the equation. Come and share your master's happiness. Verse 22. The man who had received two talents came and said, Master, you entrusted me with two talents. Look, I have gained two more talents besides them. And his master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things, so I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Here comes the loser. Verse 24. This laggard. Then the man who had received one talent came and said, Master, I knew you to be a hard man. Just pause right there. Sometimes your perspective of God will determine what you do with the talent that he's given you. He, he saw the master as a hard man out of fear. Look, what it goes on to say, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you have not sown, and gathering where you had not scattered seed, and I was afraid. Fear, my friend, will immobilize you from using what God has put into your hands. I, I mean, we always look at this guy as the loser. I, he may have had uh, an abusive father and had never been modeled what a loving father looked like. Think about it. Put yourself in these guys' shoes. Don't just read this scripture and go, too bad for this guy, he didn't have a clue. Think about this. I was afraid, and I saw you as a hard man, so therefore I went and hid your talent in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. But his master answered and said to him, you wicked and lazy servant, which may have confirmed for him he is a hard man. You wicked and lazy servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seeds, so you ought to have at least deposited my money with the bankers, and at my coming, I would have re at least received back my own interest. Take the talent from him and give it to the one who has ten talents. One is given five, one is given two, and another is given one. Very clearly, some people are given more talents than others. What he's basically asking them to do is to increase their capacity at the level at which God has given them. It's not, it's not about the amount of of talents or the talent that you've been given, it's, here's the question. Are you being a good steward of what he's already giving you? Are, are you growing in capacity? In this case, are you doubling your capacity as this passage demonstrates? It's, it's less about what you started with. The reward was based upon how they finished, what they ended with. Jesus is measuring, Jesus is measuring our lives. He's measuring the talents. He's measuring the resources, the gifts, as we're working, he's measuring the results. Results. How many know 
We just read it. Those outcomes, they did not happen overnight. After a long time, be patient with the process of pursuing the fulfillment of your gifts. I love this, this quote by Martin Luther. This life, therefore, is not righteousness, but growth in righteousness. Not health, but healing. Not being, but becoming. Not rest, but exercise. We are not yet what we shall be, but we are growing towards it. The process is not yet finished, but it is going on. This is not the end, but it is the road. All does not yet gleam in glory, but is being glorified. I love that. He's talking about the pursuance of a result, an outcome in your life. Results, real results. And our willingness, our willingness to measure those things, whether they're really happening, if if we do it, will bring more capacity to our lives, more integrity. What are you measuring in your life? What, what are the results you're looking for to say that's success in my life? Okay, number four. Fourth characteristic of, uh, of integrity is this. Engage the negative. That sounds like fun. <laughs> I love this anonymous quote. A man's ability to receive another man's direct criticism is a measure of his capacity. Think about that. Look, look at uh, verse 24 again. Look at Moses' response to Jethro's criticism of him. Moses listened to his father-in-law's advice and he followed his suggestions. Engaging the negative is a difficult principle when we're talking about pursuing integrity. Um, some of us are just naturally optimistic. Um, engaging the negative, people that struggle with confrontation are going to have a difficult time engaging the negative in their life. Uh, I told you last week that I'm, I typically err on the side of being Mr. Optimistic. Um, Ashley, my beautiful wife, has helped me through the years um, to be a little more, more realistic um, and not see everything through rose-colored lenses. Um, I, I just simply, I live by this code of wanting to believe the best in people. Wanting to believe the best in people. And if I'm honest, I think that's the right side to err on. I don't, none of us do things because we think it's the incorrect way of doing them. Right? I really do think, though, in the most Christian way, that to err on the side of giving people the benefit of the doubt. Is, listen, let's all be honest. We all needed someone at some point in our life to give us the benefit of the doubt. Why is it that we become so short in extending the same thing that we needed in our lives at some point. Believe the best in people until they prove you otherwise, right? Um, now, once they prove me otherwise, I have no problems with confrontation. Um, Moses doesn't have this problem either. We, we look at this experience. Moses takes his seat to hear the people's disputes all day long, he hears negative, 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 negative. He's engaging the negative, that's for sure. The secret, though, of Moses' leadership capacity is that he's not only able to listen to other people's negativity and engage in their negativeness, that's a word, he's able to hear his father-in-law's negativity about his own life and then beyond that, receive it and accept it. Sometimes, Sometimes it's hard to receive criticism about our own lives. 
How, how do you respond to constructive criticism? Think about it. Are you defensive? Is it about being right? Um, it's, this is the reality of our lives. Uh, maybe, maybe engaging the negative in your life is more about a broken relationship in your life. Um, you know it's broken. It's awkward. It's uncomfortable. It's unnatural. But instead of dealing with it, you continue to let it function in its dysfunction. You, you refuse to engage the negative. You pretend that it doesn't exist, assuming that it will just right itself and it will just go away. Wrong. It will not just go away. And before you know it, there's this big blow up and you all act all surprised like, where did that come from? Uh, listen, here, here's the principle. I want you to get this principle. You are usually two difficult conversations away from the next level. Get this. You are usually two difficult conversations away from the next level in your business, in your family, in your marriage, you have to be willing to have the difficult conversation. Engaging the negative, I promise you, can be the most positive thing you have ever done. How many, maybe it's just my family, how many, how many know in your family you, you need to engage the negative on some things? I, uh, I see this a lot when I'm counseling with uh, newlyweds. Um, they're trying to establish this new life of sorts. And maybe one of them has a, a meddling parent. Or maybe a couple meddling parents. And as they're trying to establish their life, the newlyweds struggle to create boundaries so that they can establish this life of their own. And then they play into it and enable them by calling them every time something goes wrong. And bringing them into their, their life. Um, I watch newlyweds struggle with this a lot. You have to, this is engaging the negative. Establishing boundaries. Quite often, it's about another person engaging the negative. Have you ever tried to raise kids and never discipline them? Uh, what kind of kid will you end up with? Uh, you'll end up with one that you can't live with. Um, and yet sometimes I see parents and they want their children to like them. They want them to be their friend. Um, so they never, say any, they never engage the negative with their children. Children need a parent who will engage the negative in their lives. And all the moms and dads said, amen. Yeah, okay, yeah. I pro- Listen, I see these families all the time, though. Dysfunctional. Their kid has no respect for mom and dad. And sometimes the parents are blind to it. Many parents are blind to the faults of their children. Um, I don't know if you've ever been to this house. I've been to this house many times. Everyone knows the kid's a brat. Um, No one likes being there because they know that kid's going to be there. Um, I can't stand being there. And the parents are walking around going, oh, my son is so wonderful. And I'm going, no, your son's a demon. Your son is going to hell. We need to pray. I don't want to be there. You don't want, I'm, maybe I'm the only one who goes to this house. I'm just telling you. You're not operating in the realm of reality. You have to engage the negative with your child. As a parent, 
It's your responsibility to place boundaries in your child's life. There's no other way around it. You know, the other thing we have, we have parents that are slaves to their kids. Their kids dictate everything. And while, listen, while I know it's a parent's responsibility, we have four, okay? It's a parent's responsibility to care and provide for that child. There's a difference between caring for your child and catering to your child. Um, it's, it's like these, they can't do anything without clearing it with the child. Would it be okay if we went out on a date tonight? Is this going to make you upset? I don't want to make you unhappy. I want to be your friend. Listen, just telling you, I'm the one sitting across the table from these parents. Intentionally making decisions that you know are going to upset your child is part of being a parent. You consciously make decisions and you go, he ain't going to like this one. But you still got to do it. This is engaging the negative. As a church, what, what does it look like to engage the negative as a church? Um, a lot of us, if we've been around the church or ministry long enough, we've experienced those times where there were areas of ministry that had been dead for a long time. There were these sacred cows, and the church simply refused to get rid of it. Um, they refused to change And most of the time, it's not a matter of us knowing that something is dead and not working, but it's instead, it's our unwillingness to let it go. Anna and Elsa would sing it well for us. Just the fact that I know those names, just pray for me. Four kids. Funny thing is, we we think we're the only ones that know. Meanwhile, everyone else is walking around going, do you smell that? That is dead. Cut it off, let it go, get rid of it. And we hold on to these things. That's why um, in business, um, sometimes it's easier. They, they live out this principle in the business world better than we do in the church. Um, because it's not so personal. It's about dollars and cents and making the bottom line work. It's about money. And there's very clear measurement. Um, it's easy to come to the person that's serving underneath in your department and say, hey, you're not hitting your numbers as... Your manager is your supervisor. I just need to engage the negative in your job performance, and it's poor. Easy to do when it's just a bottom line, dollar cents. But when you're talking about someone's life calling, their ministry, what they believe, the word of God, things that we're so passionate about in the church, when we engage the negative, it's very personal for us. Very personal. It's a spiritual calling. So you're not just saying, hey, there's something wrong with your management skills something wrong with your leadership ability, you're not hitting the numbers. No, when we engage the negative in the church, we're almost saying there's something wrong with you. That's the way it's heard. That's the way it's felt. We don't like to hear that. I don't like to hear that. Because our ministry is it's something so deep, so real, so spirit. It's our calling. It's our life. So when someone says something negative, it's like a personal attack. It's so hard to do in the context of ministry in the church. But you know what? If we're going to grow in our leadership capacity, we need to love each other enough, just like within our families. We need to be able to engage the negative without feelings being hurt, without looking to get offended, without damaging people, without it being so personal. So often, 
the success or failure of engaging the negative in the church is contingent upon how it's addressed and delivered. You've heard me say it before, because it's, it's not so much what you say, but it's how you say it. Isn't it so true? Hopefully, my hope is that we'll respond like Moses did to Jethro and say, you know what? You're right. You're right. I'm going to destroy my life and my ministry if I continue leading this way, if I continue going down this path. And so I, re- I receive that word from you, Jethro. If, if you are not good at receiving constructive criticism, you will not grow. It just deems you unmentorable. Here's the question for us to consider. What difficult conversation do you need to have? Okay, now we all have faces coming to mind. Maybe we have several faces coming to our minds. Most of you already know. Engaging the negative in your life, in your family, in our Church, you must be willing to engage the negative no matter how difficult it might be. Believe you, me, you will be glad you did it in the long run. I promise you. Husband, wife, what conversation do you need to have? Mom, dad, what conversation do you need to have? New parent, what system, what process do you need to engage so that you have more control of your life. Where do you need to engage? It may require some changes in your home. Uh, My prayer. My prayer is that there would be such a spirit of integrity in this house, in this church. Not just of moral uh, purity and ethical uprightness. Yes, those things. But I'm talking about this type of integrity. Where we operate in the realm of reality with each other. We're honest with each other. We're not easily offended. We don't look for places to be offended. Where we celebrate one another. Where we listen to one another. Where we get up in the morning and say, God, help me to connect authentically with the people in my life today. You know, we can, we can often get distracted by how many talents we've been given in comparison to how many talents someone else was given. And we find ourselves focusing on what we feel is not fair. What we need to focus on is being faithful with what we've been given. Don't get caught up in the comparison game. Don't miss that. The reward was the same for the five-talent and two-talent person. The reward was the same. They started with different amounts, both up, but the reward was the same. Well done. Good and faithful. Right? The reward was based upon what they did with their talents. Stop looking around and wishing that you had more talents and more opportunity. Be faithful with what God has placed in your hands right now. How about we start there? Let's do that well. Uh, God, God is a very good economist. Uh, he does not waste his resources. Uh, in fact, you see the end of that story there. He, he takes the talent away from the one who just sat on it and he gives it to the other guy that did something with it. A couple questions for us to consider here. What results are you measuring in your life? Think about it. What are you measuring? Secondly, 
Where, where do you need to engage the negative? We're looking at Moses' life, his willingness to measure what's being accomplished, to engage the negative. More than likely, engaging the negative will involve another person. That's what makes it hard. Connect authentically. We talked about that last week. Operate in reality. This week, what are we going to do? We're going to look at our lives. What results are we accomplishing? What are we, what are we measuring? And where, where do we need to engage the negative? What difficult conversation do we need to have this week so that God can grow our capacity, so that he can entrust us with more, and that we can better handle what we've already been given? Amen. Thanks again for joining us. If you want to join us on Sunday, we meet at 10.30 a.m. right next to Wilson Central High School or check us out online at connectchurchtn.com. Thanks so much and have a blessed day.